you remain standing, let us turn to this evening's sermon text. In the final book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1, is where we find ourselves this evening. You know, Martin Luther was an interesting reformer in many ways. He had a peculiar relationship to many books in the Bible, one of which is Revelation. He said, I can't make sense of it. And he basically says, here's my problem with it, and why I'm content to throw it out of the canon, mind you. He says, Christ is not taught or known in it. And you have to love Brother Martin in a variety of ways, not least of which he's not afraid to say what his mind truly believes. You know, when he's right, he's really right. And even when he's wrong, he's not shy about it. Because if you know the story of Revelation, Christ is everywhere in it. Even from the first phrase of verse 1 of chapter 1. And so what we're going to see along the way in our slow journey these evenings through the book of Revelation is what probably is the unrivaled portrait of Jesus Christ in all of Scripture. Here Jesus is both comforting and kind, but also just and fearsome. So we're just going to deal with the first three verses, the prologue of Revelation tonight. Let me read it for us. Pray that God would bless our brief study, and then we'll continue. So here now as Christ speaks to us through his word, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God, And the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep it, what is written in it, for the time is near. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray once again. Father, we do thank you for your word, as always, for its perfection, for its power. So help us to learn the truth of Christ presented in our short text this evening, that we might grow in Him, that we might increase in love for Him, that we might bow before Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we pray these things in His precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Throughout the years, I have had the occasion to lead a number of different short-term mission trips with various ministries and individuals in the church. And if you've ever been on a short-term mission trip, you know that generally the first part of your mission trip is preparation. It often begins with this orientation, a seminar even, a training day of sorts, so that you kind of be ready for what you're getting ready to get yourself into. You need to know what the mission is, what the context looks like, what the potential challenges are along the way. And so whenever... I would lead such training. I would always have the team members read a book beforehand that was titled Serving with Eyes Wide Open, uh, Doing Short-Term Missions with Cultural Intelligence. Because, of course, it recognizes that when you go from this culture to a completely different culture, there are challenges that you're going to face. When you go from this environment to a totally new atmosphere of life in another part of the world, there are things that are going to be totally different. And if you don't understand the differences, it's going to be hard to serve with eyes wide open. And in the same way, when you come to Revelation, it seems like you need preparation, don't you? You need orientation. Because you're coming into a book, a style of Scripture, a genre of literature that's quite different than what we're used to. In fact, for many of us, it might be altogether different than what we're used to. And so what we need from these first three verses is to recognize how it's telling us that we must read the book of Revelation with eyes wide open. 
So kids, as you come to this book, what you need to recognize, and you may not know this just yet, uh, Christians throughout the ages have argued and debated about Revelation perhaps more than almost any book in the Bible. And part of that is because I think we tend to disagree, some people at least do, on how to even approach the book. So for example, many people, certainly in the West and where we live in America today, they approach Revelation as a puzzle. So think of a, a thousand-piece puzzle, kids, if you've ever done that before. It can be quite difficult, depending on the nature of the picture on that puzzle, right? You've got so many pieces. It's difficult to figure out how this one fits with this, and it's only when you get it all sorted out and pieced together just right that you can stand back and then finally be able to say, ah, that's what it's about. But Revelation is less a puzzle book and more a picture book. Uh, what it's doing through vivid and often bizarre images is communicating glorious spiritual truths that even a child is supposed to be able to understand. So when you think about the overall point of Revelation, here's a simple way to summarize it. Everyone has their own kind of summary of what Revelation talks about. But here's a simple way for, for you to understand it for this evening. Revelation encourages persecuted Christians to persevere because Christ will win. It encourages persecuted Christians to persevere because Christ will win. And so I trust even that simple summary helps encourage you to the usefulness of this wonderful book. That no matter your suffering, no matter your affliction, no matter even your persecution, you can persevere because Christ has won. And the full inauguration of his victory is coming in the near future. So it's a book about the slaughtered lamb that also is the victorious lion of Judah. And what I want you to see from these first three verses is simply the purpose of Revelation. Now, I kind of try to spell it out more at the end. But what you get is three simple parts to our three simple verses. We're going to see, first of all, Revelation's source. Secondly, Revelation's witness. And thirdly, Revelation's blessing. So it's source, witness, and blessing. Look at the source as it begins of course, the first two words in my ESV are the revelation, which is why we get the title that we get, don't we? The revelation. Even that one word tells us a lot about the book that's getting ready to follow. First of all, that word in Greek essentially means apocalypse. So what we're diving into is literature that's quite foreign to us, apocalyptic literature, but it's literature that was quite common, familiar to a first century person who would have been hearing this. If you know anything about apocalyptic literature, you'll find it in certain pockets of the Old Testament. But it tends to communicate truth, often prophecy, communicate truth through images and symbols to reveal heaven's perspective on human history. It's almost as though what apocalyptic literature is doing through these images, through these pictures, through these portraits, is helping us understand heaven's perspective of what's going on in the world. It's not just this apocalypse, it's also revelation. It reveals truth. And here's why that might be helpful to you this evening. Maybe you've read through Revelation in a Bible reading plan. And maybe you haven't gotten too far into the letters to the churches, too far into John's visions, before you feel as though, no, nah, it seems like it's better at hiding the truth than revealing the truth. I really don't understand what it's talking about. But it's meant to reveal truth, to uncover the meaning of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so a, a way that you can maybe illustrate that is through this series of books that's been published in the last 20 years, you know, incredibly high in its best-selling charts. And one of the stories along the way talks about this opening scene with these wizards and magic people. 
And I want you to picture a camera that starts out at street level. It's nighttime. All of the street lights are on. Cars are buzzing about. The camera begins to zoom out and zoom up. You begin to take in more of the countryside, more of the panorama in mind. Soon you kind of begin to see the clouds off in the horizon and you notice that there are flashes of light, somewhat muffled sounds of action. As the camera continues to rise, you see what's going on. There's this battle above the clouds. There's this war going on in the heavenlies. And that's really what Revelation is doing. It's raising our attention to look to the heavenly realms the divine perspective on human history and Christ's victory. So it's an apocalyptic book. It's a revelation book about Jesus Christ. Because look at how the verse continues. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That could mean it's the revelation that Jesus gives or it's the revelation that's just about Jesus. And I think you want to see it as it's the revelation that Jesus gives because of what comes in the remainder of the verse, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. If you're okay circling things in your Bible, circle that word soon and place out in the margin an exclamation point and a question mark because it's that simple word soon that you can use as a way to help illustrate the various perspectives that people have, Christians have, in approaching the book of Revelation. So I don't want to deal with this too long, but I want to even, because it's right from the outset, help you understand why people view it so differently even from this one word, soon. So John is writing... Sometime in the late first century. Some people say it's earlier. I think it's probably in the mid-90s before the turn of that century A.D. And he says, these are things that will soon come to pass. So, one camp called the Preterist camp takes soon as John saying, soon meaning immediately, quickly. Well, therefore, in his lifetime, everything that you read in these pages is going to come to pass soon. So the preterist view would essentially take everything in Revelation to say almost everything happened way back in the first century or the beginning of the second century, but mostly in the first century. The second view, we can call the historicist view, they take soon to mean, yeah, quickly, but not all quickly, because it's, a simp it's simply taking the book of Revelation as something like a biblical chronological timeline on church history. So therefore, the chapters are in sequence. They're in chronological order. So our job, when we think of soon, is to figure out where we are in the timeline of Revelation. Therefore, we're going to know the events that are in our generation soon going to come to pass. Thirdly, there's the futurist view. It's dominated American life certainly for the last hundred years or so. Dominate our metroplex in a variety of ways. It takes soon to mean more something like suddenly. So it really wasn't going to happen in John's day. It was going to happen sometime in the distant future. And once the prophecies began to be fulfilled, suddenly the rest of it would come alongside as well. So instead of taking pretty much everything in Revelation as referring to the past, it takes pretty much everything in Revelation, what? Referring to the future. And there's a fourth view. The final major view on the book, the final major view on soon, is called the idealist view, which essentially says, well, it's, kind of this cyclical spiritual warfare reality in Revelation, so every generation in church history can take it as soon because it's really not talking as much about specific historical events as this repeated pattern of a war between Christ and the devil. Now, I personally 
fall in what increasingly is called almost a fifth view, which uh, I know many people these days call the eclectic view. It kind of takes a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It doesn't agree with every school in terms of every part of what it's teaching, but some parts of this, some parts of that. And you'll see that worked out, I suppose, along the way in our studies of Revelation. But what you need to know, even though the book tends to have this debated-like quality to it, it's going to take us a while to get to any passage that people really debate. Even chapter 6, we've got to wait a long time to get to chapter 6 when the seals are opened and people then begin to say, well, it's this, it's that, it's this, or it's that. It's soon going to take place, this revelation of Jesus Christ. So he is Revelation's source. And notice the end of verse 1, end of verse 2, Revelation's witness. We're told Christ made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So this angel is going to function as like a heavenly tour guide to John throughout the book, showing him this event, showing him this vision. And John is meant to write it down for our benefit. Now, kids, what do you know about John? Do you know anything about John from the New Testament? We're going to take it for the purpose of our studies, even though, of course, it's debated, that this is the Apostle John spoken of here. So he's one of the original disciples. His brother was James. He referred to himself as what? The disciple whom Jesus loved. The beloved disciple wrote other letters. The church tradition tells us that he was the longest living of all the disciples, he ministered primarily in Asia Minor, particularly in Ephesus. So when you read Ephesians, Paul's letter to Timothy, even 1 John, Ephesus is always in the background there. And students, the right way to take John in Revelation is something like a modern-day reporter. Now, if you had the courage and bravery to turn on cable news these days, and you know, a major event happens, like a protest, and you watch a reporter, and... He or she's holding a microphone. And what is he or she doing? Reporting what they saw. Bearing witness to what they just viewed. And that's what John is doing here. Because look at how verse 2 continues. Christ sent this angel to John who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw. I don't think that you want to take the word of God there in verse 2 and the testimony of Jesus Christ as different things. I think it's right to say it's the word of God that is the testimony of Jesus Christ. That Christ is the center of everything that we read in Scripture. He's the fulfillment of all of God's promises that everything is marching forward to the great day of glorious fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation's source is Jesus Christ. Revelation's witness is is the Apostle John. And look at thoroughly verse 3, Revelation's blessing. Revelation's blessing. I don't know, maybe we'll say it's 15 years ago. Uh, one of the most influential pastors in our Metroplex, who leads one of the largest, most influential churches in our Metroplex, uh, he published a book that was somewhat of a best-selling book for the time in Christian spirituality circles. It was called The Blessed Life. And in it, he gave you the key to living the blessed life. And what do you think that he said the key to living the blessed life was? Giving money away. It was kind of, you know, your more basic, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, watered-down prosperity gospel. Just give money away and God will increase the blessing that he brings upon you. And however important, of course, generosity is to the Christian life, that's not the great source of blessing, is it? Look at what we're told according to verse 3. Blessed 
is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear. Students, do you know what it means to be blessed? It's a glorious word in Scripture, isn't it? It's one that we often misunderstand in our culture today. I mean, I suppose that its purest form, it just means happiness. Happiness that one experiences after receiving gifts of God's grace. And here it is, blessing found in hearing. Not just hearing, reading the word. Because, of course, in that ancient time of John, you would come into a synagogue, you would come into a place of worship. Not everybody would have a copy of the scriptures there. So one person was always given to the work of what? Reading the scriptures. And he's saying here there's a peculiar blessing that belongs to whoever reads Revelation, but even for us, of course, to whoever hears Revelation. So I want you to take this even as an encouragement this evening, that you would recognize that reading God's Word is a blessing for us in the Christian life. I'm sure many of you can experience as the new year begins each year, there's a fresh interest, there's a fresh excitement to read through the Bible in a year. And then you talk to me come September and you say, well, I never made it out of Leviticus. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. There is no extra holiness award for reading through the Bible every single year. But there is extra blessing through reading God's Word, isn't there? Through reading it in large chunks, reading it in full. And parents, maybe you can feel the exhortation of Revelation at this point. One of the best things you can do for your children is read them large portions of God's Word, trusting that the Spirit is sovereign in His power to superintend their inability to understand Revelation 1 and apply it to them in a unique way that they need. So it's why even, like we did earlier this evening, in the evening we're trying to recover some of that by reading just long portions of Scripture together, giving a sense of it that we might drink ever more deeply of God's Word. But you know from James, don't you? We're not to just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So look at how the blessing ends. Blessed are those who hear, verse 3 continues, and who keep it. Keep what is written in it, for the time is near. It sounds a lot like the language of Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 1. When he bursts onto the scene preaching the gospel of the kingdom, he says, Repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As as though John is now writing for our attention and affection, saying, Listen and obey, hear and keep, for the coming of Christ is at hand. So we dare not assume that in a room of this size, every single person here is actually trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the urgency, the awareness, and the earnestness that Revelation calls of you. The time is near. The judge is on the way, and as subsequent chapters show, He is terrifying to encounter. And there is but one way to receive His blessings. To hear His word. To keep it through trust and repentance. Revelation's source, Jesus Christ. Revelation's witness, the Apostle John. Revelation's blessing, the word itself. One of the more obscure Puritans that I have read throughout the years is a man named Isaac Ambrose. He ministered eh, early, mid-1600s. And every year, he took an annual four-week retreat. So before pastors today really talked about sabbaticals, he took a sabbatical every single year. But his sabbatical was wholly like on how we pastors take sabbaticals these days. He would go to this shack. 
can't remember if he built it or not, but I think he built it, this tiny little shack in the woods, secluded from everyone and everything. And he essentially locked himself into solitary confinement for four weeks every single year with nothing other than his Bible and food because he was nearby a water supply. And his entire job, his entire duty for those four weeks was meditation and contemplation on the glory of Jesus Christ. And I guess in those meditations and contemplations, he began to write down what he saw, what he learned. And in time, he published that as a book that became something of a classic of Christ-centered spirituality in the Puritan tradition. And he called it Looking Unto Jesus. And that, friends, is exactly what Revelation is here to do, to help us look unto Jesus. Because we don't want to come to this book thinking that it's going to confuse us. It means to reveal truth to us. We don't want to come to this book thinking it's going to confound us. Pictures that are meant to communicate simple spiritual truths even to a child. Nor do we want to come to this book looking at our current events and trying to figure out which one fulfills a particular part of Revelation. Because what must we see? The risen, exalted Jesus Christ. The slaughtered lamb who is the victorious lion who is on the way. Bringing with him final victory. And as we reach by the end the new heavens, and the new earth. So let me give you, as we begin to close, three simple calls from our three simple verses. These, as you will know, surely, are most basic to the Christian life, but they are utterly central to the Christian life. Number one, Revelation calls us to learn from Jesus. Calls us to learn from Jesus. It is the testimony about Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That whenever we come to God's word, as we've said already, we go what? Wisely, expectantly, carefully, looking to Jesus Christ. Learning what he says we must know. Number two, revelation calls us to look unto Jesus Christ. If you've ever made it all the way through John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress... You might know that he actually has a second book in Pilgrim's Progress that few people talk about. It follows Christian's wife, Christiana. And if you made it that far into Bunyan, he'll eventually bring you a character he calls the man with the muckrake. And it's this figure who is always looking down and raking the worthless things of the world to his feet. All the while, these golden crowns of glory are floating overhead that he must reach, that he could see if he would only but look up. And Revelation helps us to look up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you know that so much of the Christian life is like Colossians 3 says, setting our minds on what? Things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, because as verse 4 says in that chapter, he is our life. Learn from Christ, look to Christ. Of course, thirdly, Revelation calls us to listen to Christ. Listen to Christ. Pay attention to that along the way. Sometimes in this book, it'll feel as though the Lord Jesus is speaking softly and tenderly, calling his people to himself. Other times, the Lord Jesus Christ will speak powerfully, even fearfully, and we trust that a blessing belongs to those who hear Jesus Christ. So, what's the purpose of Revelation? It's receiving the blessing that belongs to those who hear this word. The blessing that belongs to those who keep this word. 
the blessing that is Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would bless us as we continue on in our studies in the weeks to come. We do pray, should you tarry in sending your son to return, that we might be steadfast in this great word from the Bible's final book. Help us, we pray, to be ever more Christ-centered as we read it, full of love for him as we hear it, full of devotion to him as we keep it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.